Sorry to spoil the surprise, but if you're getting gift from me this Christmas, you're getting coffee from my favorite coffee company, Black Rifle Coffee. Every morning when I go into the hill, I have a steamy, hot, delicious cup of Black Rifle, just black. And that's also how I drink it and the name of the coffee, by the way. It is delicious, okay? The aromas, the different taste profiles that come through are incredible. Oh, and by the way, this is a company run by and for veterans, including veterans of the United States Special Forces. These guys are amazing. Black Rifles Coffee Club makes things so easy. Just pick your blend, the amount you want, and they'll ship the coffee right to your door. Check this out for yourself. They offer three, six, and 12-month prepaid and pay-as-you-go subscriptions. The best-tasting, most energizing coffee imaginable, and they help veteran and first responder causes. Black Rifle Coffee is the gift that keeps on giving. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. You are entering the Freedom Hut. An epic throwdown in the Oval Office with President Trump, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer over the wall and the possible shutdown. Looks like maybe Republicans are growing a bit of a backbone here. We've got that and much more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Here's what I want to say. We have a lot of disagreements here. The Washington Post today gave you a whole lot of Pinocchios because they say you constantly misstate how much of the wall is built and how much is there. But that's not the point here. We have a disagreement about the wall, whether it's effective or not on border security, but on the wall. We do not want to shut down the government. You have called 20 times to shut down the government. You say, I want to shut down the government. We don't. We want to come to an agreement. If we can't come to an agreement, we have solutions that will pass the House and Senate right now and will not shut down the government. And that's what we're urging you to do. Not threaten to shut down the government because you, you let me just finish because you can't get the your last way. Time you shut it down, you yeah, let me say something, Mr. President. You just say my way or we'll shut down the government. We have a proposal that Democrats and Republicans will support to do a CR that will not shut down the government. We urge you to take it. And if it's not good border security, I it won't is take very- it. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, man, it was good stuff today in the Oval Office. This is the Trump that we signed up for. This is the Trump that I wanted to see. Uh, the Trump that makes the case in front of the American people and holds the libs' feet to the fire, so to speak. I mean, makes them make the case publicly. And you could tell Pelosi and Schumer, oh, they wanted no part of what President Trump was bringing today. Because they know that Trump is better at this than they are. You know, without a a completely in the tank for her press corps, Pelosi is exposed. She knows that. You know, Pelosi never has to take tough questions from anybody. Pelosi doesn't have to really explain herself in any meaningful way. She just is treated like the queen all the time. And, you know, Chuck Schumer, same thing. Treated like the king of the Democrats. And Trump was just saying, look... You know, I'm sorry, we got to have a wall here. I mean, this this whole debate, this whole discussion over a wall and whether we should have one or not gets 
gets completely uh, lost with the with the intentional efforts of the media to obscure what's really going on. And the, the dumbest talking point that I've heard on, on almost any subject is walls don't work. Of course, walls work. Walls work in the San Diego sector of the border. Walls have worked for as long as human beings have been building things. A wall is a barrier. To say that a wall does not work is like saying a lock does not work. How many of you have a lock on your door, on your front door, maybe on more than just that? Maybe, you're, you know, all over your house. But how many of you have a lock? If I came to you and I said a lock on your front door is stupid, I could get into your house. I could break through your window. Why do you lock your front door? Would you say, yeah, you're right. No more locks. No. If I said locks don't work because I could just, you know, pick the lock or I could kick the door and you say locks don't work. No. Security is never about what's perfect. Security is about trying to lessen the chance of something bad happen or lessen a, a, an occasion from arising. You know, the idea that a wall is supposed to stop everybody, no one says that. But let's just make it a little bit harder than, hey, I got to the border, I'm going to walk across now. People say, well, Buck, there's border patrol. Okay, fine. Yeah, that's why it's not just a wall. I appreciate when they say that because they're really making the argument for me. Yes, we do have Border Patrol. We do have you know, some surveillance capability, and, and there are efforts to police and patrol the border of, you know, effectively, although they're not enough. A wall makes those efforts more successful, makes it harder for people to just continue to come into the country. And you know, the, the Democrats are just, they are absolutely making it up as they go along on this thing. They're saying they'll give $1.5 billion. That's what they always give for border security. Yeah, you know, pays for some things here and there, pays for some government employees and some other things, you know. Uh, and and the, the, the Republican plan is like, look, give us $5 billion and we'll get started building this wall. You know, it, it's now or never for a wall, folks. I mean, you remember Trump at all these different rallies. You remember what he was saying. He was, you know, the, the proposal was not, I'll get, you know, give me 60 senators and I'll get a wall. You know, the, the president, we, we can go into a government shutdown. They can decide not to immediately fund all aspects. Eighty five percent of the government gets funded. I mean, that's there's so much propaganda around this. It's not even a government shutdown. It's a partial government furlough. And it's really just a fragment of the government. So this is not catastrophic, but, you know, it makes the point. The Republicans, they've got the lame duck session. They're looking at trying to get something done here and you know that that democrats the way they the way they fight this you know the way the way they're presenting this is that they say uh that that they don't want to spend the money and that it doesn't work and all these things are just are just nonsense five billion dollars that's what they think is is so unacceptable five billion dollars i mean when you look at how much money we've been spending overseas in recent years for things that do not benefit the American people nearly as much as actual border security would, you're telling me we don't have $5 billion for this? It is nonsense. But they know this is just about the politics. This is about who is going to, as it always is with the shutdowns, who is going to get the blame. And uh, Pelosi, uh, Pelosi and Schumer wanted to be very clear that they're, you know, 
they're going to blame the president for this shutdown. Play 17. The bottom line is simple. The president made clear that he wants a shutdown. His position, if he sticks to his position for a $5 billion wall, he will get no wall and he will get a shutdown. Let's see, Chucky. Let's see what he's got. Here's Pelosi, by the way, on on the uh, the he, she calls it in this clip the Trump shutdown, which I think is just, you know, because she doesn't I think she, it still stings that remember Trump said the Schumer shutdown and that kind of stuck. People remember, oh, yeah, the Schumer shutdown when when Schumer's going to shut down the government and then he backed off of it. Right. Or he backed off after the short shutdown. Play clip 12. Some wall has been reinforced by our military. Our military has done a fantastic job. So the wall will get built, but we may not. Uh, we may not have an agreement today. We probably won't. Uh, but we have an agreement on other things that are really good. Nancy, would you like to say something? Well, thank you, Mr. President, for the opportunity to meet with you uh, so that we can work together in a bipartisan way uh, to meet the needs of the American people. I think the American people recognize that we must keep government open, that a shutdown is not worth anything and that you should not have a Trump shutdown. Uh, you have the, oh, the oh, White House, you, Trump Trump shutdown. Oh. Oh. you have the White House, go you have the Senate, you have the House of Representatives, you have the vote, you should pass no, it. No, we right don't now. have the vote. <sighs> Trump, you can tell he got a little exasperated there too where Nancy says the Trump shutdown. He's like, you, you, gotta, you gotta be kidding me, really? Uh, but now Trump has said that if there is a shutdown, I think he just doesn't like that she's taking his his taking his style there a little bit because he got the whole Schumer shutdown thing going. But Trump is saying, yeah, he's 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 down to do this. And in, in fact, he's saying just straight up, I'm going to do this. I I am going to shut down the government if you do not give me the wall. Play eleven. Oh, we don't have eleven. Oh, we already played it. Yeah, well, he says, I'm proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck. People in this country don't want criminals and people that have lots of problems and drugs pouring into our country. Trump has drawn a line in the sand here. He, he's either doing it or he's not doing it. And I, I, I don't know how he backs off it at this point. They're either giving him the money or he's going to have to shut down the government. Uh, the, you know, the Democrats are, are fundamentally unserious about this. And that's why I like this approach. I want this out there. I want them to have to explain themselves because otherwise what happens is, you know, they all do this behind closed doors thing. They all have this this discussion that we don't get to see. We don't know what's happening. And then no one gets any blame. And when there's no blame because you don't know who's responsible for what, there can't be any accountability. And if there's no accountability, well, then the slimy politicians get away with saying whatever they want. And when it comes time for reelection, you know, they'll just they'll change it up and start saying, oh, you know, I. I was a stalwart on the border. I was never going to, you know, they just make it up as they go along. It's just all a big bacchanal of self-interest on Capitol Hill for the most part. Anyway, I mean, that's what's really going on. So I would like this to be out there for us to see. I want Trump to be making this case in front of the American people. You know who doesn't want it? Nancy Pelosi. Play 14. We're here to have a conversation in a prayerful way, so I don't think we should have a debate in front of the press 
on this, but the fact is the, Senate, the House Republicans could bring up this bill if they had the votes immediately and set the tone for what you want. If we thought we were going to get it passed in the Senate, Nancy, we would do it immediately. We'd get it passed very easily in the House. Yeah, we would get it, Nancy, I'd have it passed in two seconds. It doesn't matter, though, because we can't get it we passed in the Senate because we need 10 press. Democrat votes. Well, That's no, the again, let us have our conversation, then That's we can right. meet with the press. You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what Nancy Pelosi even thinks she's saying here. There's some problem with, as Trump says, transparency, with, with finding out, you know, why are Democrats so opposed to this? They, there's, the Secure Fence Act was voted on big bipartisan majorities in 2006. Has really that much changed? This just used to be an area where the country was, you know, at least our elected leadership was pretending to be in, in wide agreement. But then Republicans, a lot of them sold out to the donor class. A lot of them became kind of infected with this, uh, you know, ultra free market, free movement of people, libertarian, you know, mumbo jumbo. And they started believing this stuff. They started believing, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter. The more the merrier. You know, we don't, we don't really need a secure border. We don't need any border, really. There are some on, who say they're on the right who believe this. And the, for the Democrats, they just realize, oh, this is, this is ballgame for us. This means everything else that they want will be made possible through continued illegal immigration and through the amnesty of the illegal aliens already in the country. And they know that. They only have to win this fight, and then they'll win all the others. That's why this is so important to them. And that's why they're willing to make arguments that aren't even really arguments. It's just kind of, you know, whining and accusations and, oh, it's so racist and xenophobic. And this is what they say. I, I have to deal with watching different pundits go on TV. I mean, this look, part of my job is to know, knowing what all these clowns are saying all the time. And I heard at least I've heard at least three people in the last couple of days say some variation of, you know, experts agree that a wall won't work. And I sit here and I say to myself, well, I've been told by the head of Border Patrol, by senior ICE officials, by former Border Patrol officials, of course a wall will, will work. So who are these wall experts who don't actually work in border security and don't know what they're talking? You know, where is, the, where is the expert consensus, so to speak, that we shouldn't have a wall? It just appears in media reports. You know, they ask somebody from like the, you know, the center for migrant rights, a.k.a. like, you know, a George Soros. I don't even, that's probably a real place. So I'm just I tried to make that up off the top of my head. But, you know, some George Soros funded outfit somewhere that's saying, yeah, you know, it just all the experts agree a wall doesn't work. Uh, that's just this is buffoonish. This is buffoonish. If you're if you're trying to get, you know, from point A to point B and there's a 10 foot wall with patrols on one side of it. Are you more or less likely to get from A to B? It's all about the numbers. It's all about the percentages. And the, the liberals know this. They know this. But they're being so, dis, they're being so dishonest on it. Here, here's where I am on this, though. I got more on this. This is really important. I got to tell you, I, I had been very cynical, as you listen to this show know, cynical about whether Republicans will hold the line on this one. And Trump hasn't done it yet. But he said we're going to get a wall. And he, after today's performance... I don't understand. I don't even know how it's possible that the president of the United States could walk away from this issue and not fight it 
fight it out to the to the max. I mean, just just absolutely all in on this issue and then make Democrats defend the fact that, you know, they they, they were the ones that refused to budge on this. They ref, they refused to allow there to be this spending. And look, it's, it's just the fact that we need a supermajority in the Senate or else they won't let anything get through. On the on, a, on this budgetary matter, they, they won't let anything happen. And I would note that there's nothing constitutional about this. There, there's, there's nothing written that says you need 60 senators to be able to do anything worthwhile in the Senate. This is, this is all these different careerist politicians in Capitol Hill. They set the system up so they can evade accountability. They set the system up so they can all tell their constituents, their state or their district, oh, sure, I really want to do this thing for you. But then when push comes to shove, they don't get caught holding the bag because they don't want to do that thing. But they don't want to come out and say it. We need to push. Now is the time. Trump can win this fight and change the whole conversation going into 2020. He can change it now. And he cannot, he cannot sell out his base on this one. We, we will remember. I, I, as a Trump voter, I will remember. He said they got to give him the money or we're going into a shut. Look, if the shutdown happens, then it's a huge disaster for Republicans. Or they get, you know, well, then we'll, we'll have a talk. But they, they got to at least have the fight or else or else the words come, words coming to us from from the president on this issue just have no meaning anymore. All right. We got more coming, team. I'll be right back. presentation uh, to the press today. Uh, so when I said let's have this conversation, they said, oh, you want to keep it from the public? No, we don't want to contradict the president again and again uh, in front of the public. But if he, that's what he wants, then that's what we have to do. I mean, what he was saying was just not factual. There you got a little bit of crazy Nancy here saying the reason she doesn't want the discussion about the shutdown and immigration, all that stuff to happen, the reason she doesn't want that to be out in the open is for the president's own good. Oh, yeah, that's right. She cares so much about making sure that President Trump doesn't look bad. That's why she doesn't want this. I mean, do you think Nancy Pelosi can even keep a straight face while she, while she says this stuff? Do you think Nancy Pelosi is even able to make the case with any seriousness that she is, in fact, uh, it has the best has the best interests of the president at heart here. I, I don't think anybody really believes. I don't think Nancy Pelosi believes that. I really don't. I think that if you were to spend just a couple seconds thinking about it, you'd be like, yeah, I don't buy that, Nancy. Thanks, though. It's a, it's a nice idea, but no. No, she doesn't want this to be something that the American people get to see for themselves. She does not want people to be in a position to evaluate the arguments of both sides, because what is the Democrat argument here, really? We won't spend money to build a wall. I mean, they'll think of the things that the, the federal government does spend all kinds of money on your money, by the way, and your children, really your grandchildren's money. Uh, this would this would be low, low, even if the wall didn't work nearly as well as I and many others like me think it will. If it had one-tenth of the effect, it would be not even close to the most wasteful expenditures the government's made in the last five years. Not even close. I mean, who remember the Obama administration, administration spent a trillion dollars on stimulus. Anybody remember anything we got from the stimulus program? A trillion dollars. Anything that was worthwhile? 
I don't even think the Obama administration remembers anything that was worthwhile. This presentation uh, to the press today. Uh, so when I said, let's have this conversation, they said, oh, you want to keep it from the public? No, we don't want to contradict the president again and again uh, in front of the public. But if he, that's what he wants, then that's what we have to do. I mean, what he was saying was just not factual. There you got a little bit of crazy Nancy here saying the reason she doesn't want the discussion about the shutdown and immigration, all that stuff to happen, the reason she doesn't want that to be out in the open is for the president's own good. Oh, yeah, that's right. She cares so much about making sure that President Trump doesn't look bad. That's why she doesn't want that. I mean, do you think Nancy Pelosi can even keep a straight face while she while she says this stuff? You think Nancy Pelosi is even able to make the case with any seriousness that she is, in fact, uh, it has the best has the best interests of the president at heart here. I, I don't think anybody really believes. I don't think Nancy Pelosi believes that. I really don't. I think that if you were to spend just a couple seconds thinking about it, you'd be like, yeah, I don't buy that, Nancy. Thanks, though. It's a, it's a nice idea, but no. No, she doesn't want this to be something that the American people get to see for themselves. She does not want people to be in a position to evaluate the arguments of both sides, because what is the Democrat argument here, really? We won't spend money to build a wall. I mean, they'll think of the things that the the federal government does spend all kinds of money on your money, by the way, and your children, really your grandchildren's money. Uh, This would this would be low, even if the wall didn't work nearly as well as I and many others like me think it will. If it had one-tenth of the effect, it would be not even close to the most wasteful expenditures the government's made in the last five years. Not even close. I mean, who remember the Obama administration administration spent a trillion dollars on stimulus. Anybody remember anything we got from the stimulus program? A trillion dollars. Anything that was worthwhile? I don't even think the Obama administration remembers anything that was worthwhile. The last time, Chuck, you shut it down. No, no, no. And then you opened 20 it up times. very quickly. And 20 times. I don't want to do what you did. 20 but, times Chuck. you have called for, I will shut down the government if I don't get my wool. None of us have you said You want to know something? You've said okay, it. Okay, you want to put that you on my You said it. I'll take it. Okay, okay, good. You know what I'll say? Yes. If we don't get what we want, one way or the other, whether it's through you, through a military, through anything you want to call, I will shut down the government. Okay, absolutely. Fair enough. And we I am disagree. proud, and I'll we tell you disagree. what, I am proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck, because the people of this country don't want criminals and people that have lots of problems and drugs pouring into our country. So I will take the mantle. I will be the one to shut it down. I'm not going to blame you for it. The last time you shut it down, it didn't work. I will take the mantle Good. of shutting down. And I'm going to shut it down for border But we security. believe you shouldn't okay. shut it down. Thank you very much, everybody. Boom. Mic drop. Courtesy of El Presidente himself, Mr. Donald Trump. We got somebody who can uh, shed a additional light on this throwdown in the Oval Office today. Our main man, Sagar and Jetty is back in the house. He is the White House correspondent for the Daily Caller. He is there when all this wonderful, incredible, jaw-dropping stuff goes on in the, uh, in the Oval Office, in the West Wing, you name it. Sagar, great to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me, Buck. Uh, so were, were you in the room for this, uh, this throwdown? This was quite a scene. 
No, so the way it works is only a select group of reporters, whoever's assigned to that day. You don't know what's going to happen. They're the ones that get to go. But we get to watch them all kind of come back in to our workspace. And there was just like a feeling of absolute disbelief. Nobody ever gets to see this type of thing play out in front of the cameras. But it's actually pretty amazing. You know, people were saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that the president would do this in front of TV. I mean, this is how it usually works, right? But instead of uh, reading about it in tomorrow's Washington Post with, you know, people saying, oh, well, it was a heated Oval Office meeting, we just got to see it all for ourselves, which was great. Yeah, I, I don't understand this argument. I mean, the fact that Pelosi made it, I think, is in a sense, it's great, you know, that, that she's saying we don't want to have a debate in front of the press. Why not? You're about to be Speaker of the House. He's the president. Why can't we hear what you think on this? Why does it have to be behind closed doors and then filtered through, you know, CNN, MSNBC and The New York Times? Correct, Buck. I mean, you and and the president said it pretty exactly right, I think, where he said it's called transparency, Nancy. I mean, if you really can't if you can't debate these things in front of the press, I mean, what, what are people particularly afraid of here? She actually said afterwards that the reason that she didn't want the press to be in there is because she felt bad correcting the president's facts and his misstatements i know know, it was was pretty striking it was pretty striking to see how 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 much they kind of uh were a bit cowed by the president whenever he went after them in front of the in the oval well i also think that those are those are two politicians who in particular are just not used to it i mean they're not used to hostile treatment from the press for sure i mean the press is always coddling and, and and trying to take care of them and make sure that they look they look as as good as possible and and i think the president i watched the thing and i thought wow the democrats really don't i mean nancy pelosi kept harping on how uh you know he doesn't have the votes in the house it's like well nancy why is that your argument for why this can't get done it, you know l- let's see if yeah. he has the votes in the house you're right. And actually, the House GOP has already come out and said, sure, we'll put a vote on the floor right now. The president's argument on this is we have to negotiate with the Democrats because something's got to get in order to get past the filibuster proof majority. And uh, there, there was just a major disconnect there. There's there's arguments that, you know, Chuck Schumer was saying, well, the president says everything on the border is fine. So why don't we just keep uh, why don't we just keep the current levels of funding for border security where they are, which is, you know, particularly interesting, given how many illegal immigrants that we're apprehending at the border. We're at a record number for November 2018. And, or, and we just went through this whole caravan or are going through this whole caravan crisis. Yeah, I, I you know, I also want to ask you about the so the situation of the, the the chief of staff, I feel like the I feel like the media is always more interested in this than the American people are. I don't really care all that much who the chief of staff is, but there is a lot of skullduggery around this now. There are people saying, oh, you know, he, uh, Nick Ayers wouldn't take the job. Why wouldn't he take the job? I don't know. Maybe the guy wants to write a write a novel. Who the heck knows? I would. But what can you tell us about where this stands and and just your general sense of of the White House right now and the morale inside? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, yes, the chief and the president have clashed in the past. They are leaving. As you said, I'm, I'm not myself also a great fan of palace injury. But what I can tell you is that there are a couple of candidates that, that people are looking at and the president wants to make a change to move towards a more uh, to move towards 
dealing with the Democrats, knowing that he's going to have them in power in the House of Representatives. So he wants somebody who's more politically inclined and has a little bit more politically political experience. So two of the people that are really at the top of his list uh, is Mark Meadows. I know that Chris Christie is also being considered. His name is is being tossed around there. And he's also looking at people like Ambassador Lighthizer, who's a U.S. trade representative, and Steve Mnuchin, and a few others. But really, the president hasn't made a, a final decision. And John Kelly is sticking around in his job until January 2nd at the very least. So he's got a little bit of time. Did you see that Piers Morgan has thrown his hat in the ring for chief of staff <laughs> of the United States right. White House? <laughs> I know. I, I, I thought that was hilarious. His, his, uh, his column title was, Mr. President, you've already hired me. Hire me once again, which is a pretty compelling pitch. I, I got to tell you, if I'm if I'm Omarosa, I view this as my opportunity to get back on the reality show. You know, this is the episode <laughs> where they bring back somebody that got voted off the island. If I'm Omarosa, I say that I want to make amends and that I want to come back and I'll be the best chief of staff ever, because even if the president doesn't take it seriously, and who knows with this president, like maybe he would embrace her with open arms. I have no idea. Uh, it would get her it would get her in the news for a day or two. And it would be kind of funny for us all to think about. But. Oh, I would love it. That would, that, uh, the dark horse chief of staff candidate that I'm going to start pushing uh, is Omarosa next time, or next time I have a chance. And, and, and i, I got to ask you this. The different folks that you talk to in and around the White House, we're hearing so much this week. I mean, it, they make it sound uh, the, the media narrative yesterday was overwhelmingly any moment now. Trump's going to get thrown in the slammer. Do you get that? Uh, or, you know, they're going to bring charges against them, whatever. Do you get the sense that the people are really worried? You know, you know, you can kind of pick that up. No, they're no, they're they're so desensitized to this at the moment to all of this talk. I mean, how many times do we have to hear it's Mueller time or it's this time or it's that time? And you know, Trump is really in danger. This at this point, yes. I mean, the president does spend a certain amount of his time thinking about it. He spends a certain amount of his time tweeting about it. But there's no sense within the White House that an impending shoe is dropping, and it's not. You know, you see kind of like a frothing at the mouth in, in a lot of the people who are in our media whenever anything happens with respect to the Mueller case. And that's just not that's just not how it's received within the inside. There's just so much else that's going on there. Do you have By the way, do you have any kind of any prediction about about who's going to get the big job within the White House or are you totally agnostic? I don't. I don't. I don't think the president even knows right now, so I have no prediction. <laughs> I mean, what happens if he taps you on the shoulder when you're walking past the Oval and he's like, "Hey, Sagar, I like your work. Yeah. You should talk." You, you snap. You snap too, and you say, "Yes, sir." <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That is the right answer, Sagar. When the when the commander in chief says, "You know, jump," you say, "How high?" Uh, Sagar and Jetty, everybody. You'll see him on Fox News. Uh, you'll see him at the Daily Caller, where he's the White House correspondent. Sagar, man, always good to talk to you. See you soon. Hey. Thanks for having me, Bob. All right, team, we'll be back in a moment. If you've looked at Snippy.com in the past and left, look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com and are expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. And, you know, the guy who was the head of Google was down there today. Were any of you convinced by that testimony that Google's not engaged in left-wing bias in the search engine? Has a huge impact on what you see, when you see it. 
All right, snippy.com is the beginning of the conservative revolution in social media where we don't have to worry about what the left wingers in Silicon Valley want us to see. Snippy.com is totally free to join. It's open to everyone. So join us at snippy.com and let your opinion matter. No shadow banning and no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features, also available in the Apple App Store and now available for Android, Snippy is your new alternative social media. There's a very real prospect that uh, on the day Donald Trump leaves office, the Justice Department uh, may indict him, uh, that he may be the first president uh, in quite some time to face the real prospect of jail time. Trump knows that he's facing some pretty strong criminal liability when he leaves office one way or another. And, you know, even if a sitting president can't be indicted, he's got to know his future looks like it's behind bars unless he cuts some sort of deal with the prosecutors. That's right, my friends. The left can't beat Trump in politics, so they're trying to beat him with the law by destroying the law in the process um, by weaponizing it, by bastardizing it, polluting it. And these are people that are being treated as as some kind of uh, expert panel here. I mean, you got Adam Schiff and a, a, George, and a Georgetown law professor saying that, that Trump is going to go to prison. You know, all we've seen so far from the prosecution and the special counsel and the people have gone down are the most heavy-handed, one-sided prosecutorial tactics imaginable. And what you've really been treated to, uh, unfortunately, is a front seat view, a, a front seat to the most politicized and disgraceful series of investigatory tactics and prosecutions imaginable, really. Um, I mean, this stuff is all so clearly based in in Trump derangement syndrome. And you get this when when you look back at what they've been saying all along here. I mean, you know, they keep telling us that there's going to be collusion, there's going to be collusion. And, and then when we have a new revelation, it's never collusion somehow. It's always something else. It's always, you know, oh, well, this guy didn't pay his taxes or this guy did this thing or this guy did that thing. And I'm telling you, if you're a prominent, especially with international business ties, you're a prominent person in business. And they start doing things like going through all your communications and all of your taxes. And if you were tied to a political campaign, all of your communications with that campaign, and they were trying to find something to prosecute you for, I assure you they could do it. They could do it. Now, keep in mind, in the case of Trump, they haven't been able to even say what the charge is yet. They're just telling you that he's a criminal all the time. Because they know that ultimately this is a this is a political investigation, not really a criminal investigation. But calling someone a criminal repeatedly has these uh, has political consequences. So it's useful for them, even though, in a sense, it undermines the very argument. Can we just hear what Trump did? That's criminal. Notice how they'll go to this Cohen plea deal. And I know we're getting the Cohen. uh, We're going to find out how long he goes to prison this week. He's going to get like four or five years in, in federal prison. It's a pretty long time. Uh, But notice how when they discuss this, they say, oh, well, Cohen already pleaded to this. So it's on record. Right. There are two important parts of that. Cohen pleaded to this payoff for Stormy Daniels, Stephanie Clifford, you know, I guess former porn star. I don't think she still does, but I I don't know. 
Former porn star Stephanie Clifford, uh, Stormy Daniels, or, or was it also the other one, uh, McDougal? I, you know, I, I can't remember which one they're talking about with the specific payoff, but it was one of these women that Trump paid off. Yeah, they got Cohen to say that he was a part of this and that Trump directed him to do it. He has nothing to lose by saying that. And there's no way that Trump can prove his innocence on it because, remember, he's trying to prove that he didn't tell him something, not that he did tell him something. So how do you do that? Because even if you have a record of the of the discussions, even if you have a record of all the, the actual transactions and emails around this whole payoff situation, all that you need is Michael Cohen to say, yeah, well, you know, I was walking into the bathroom and he saw me in a way and he said, hey, uh, pay off that lady with the money and I'm not going to pay you because I want to violate FCC regulations or FEC regulations, whatever. It sounds the same. You know, that's all he has to do. He can't can't prove that Trump didn't say that. So that this, this what I'm saying is it, it doesn't prove anything that Cohen has said this. And and the president is right insofar as it's not even a criminal act. It's not even a crime to have paid this woman off because it's something that any person under those circumstances might do and could legally do. You know, the, the, the very simple concept here is, you know, is is a haircut a campaign expense? Well, you could say, Buck, if you don't get a haircut. The swoop is going to be out of control, and President Buck is not going to happen if he's got a crazy swoop. He's got to have a tame swoop. And I say, well, yes, you're correct. There are benefits that you could, say, come from the personal grooming of a haircut. But if you get a haircut every month and you keep getting a haircut during the campaign, you know, guess what? It's not a campaign expenditure. And if somebody is saying they're going to go public with a story about how you had an affair years ago— and you pay them off, guess what? It's not qualified as, as an expenditure that has to be listed. And now people could say, yes, it is. Well, guess what? This, would, this needs to be litigated and adjudicated. This has to go through the courts. We don't take this as a, as a, uh, a fait accompli here. We don't take this as something that's already been decided, that's already done. Why would we do that? But the way they've structured this Look, at, I, I, I was really thinking of this today. It reminds me a, a bit of how they came after Kavanaugh. I, I really mean this. You'll notice how Kavanaugh, especially the initial allegation, it was all set up in a way that it was non-falsifiable. And, you know, they got her on. They wanted her on the record in front of Congress, you know, without uh, members of Congress harshly cross-examining her, without really testing around the facts. They just wanted to get her on the record and get her out of there. And, and, and it was all just a takedown effort, right? Well, what they've done with Cohen is get him on the record. Trump has no official means of responding in court because it's just a plea deal that somebody else did, right? There's no, there's no challenge that Trump can uh, level against this. But it then creates a, a document, a federal court document that has, you know, Trump implicated in a crime that is only a crime because they had Cohen on all these other things and he didn't challenge this. I mean, we did, we, we've seen this, by the way, we saw this with John Edwards where there was the, you know, they, they, and look, they took him to court over this and the payoff and the mistress. And guess what? Jury said, no, it's not a crime. John Edwards did not go to jail and his thing was way more sorted and messed up than the situation we're talking about here. Cause whether you believe him or not, the president says he didn't even have the affair. I, I will just say that that strikes me as 
Although, you know, although, look, this president, I think we all can agree, is, if we're being honest, he's got more than just, uh, you know, the everyman eye for the ladies. He's definitely, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a playboy. There's no question about that. But why doesn't Stephanie, uh, I keep getting her name, you know, whatever, Stormy Daniels, that's the way everyone knows her. Why doesn't Stormy Daniels just have complete proof of, of some of their liaisons together? Why, you know, in the, in the era of text messages and email and, and you know, she doesn't have any. I, as far as I know, there's no actual proof that she has produced of this affair other than, yeah, there's a photo of them at events. I'm sure they knew each other. And look, maybe the president, you know, even got a, you know, got a little kind of a little fresh with her at some point before he was the president. But did this affair really happen? I, I think, you know, probably, but. You know, it's not proven, and he doesn't. He says no, so you know you have to take that into account as well. But but the re- the real issue here is just that they're running around calling the president a criminal, and that's the whole point of this. He's a criminal. He's a criminal. He's a racist. He's a racist. They just repeat these things, these slanders against the president of the United States, because they know that just the mere repetition does damage. Just saying this stuff over and over again brings people to the conclusion that, oh, gosh, there must be something wrong with this president. There must be. And when I say people, not you and not me, but remember, they're trying to win over a certain portion of the electorate. They're trying to get those undecideds and, the you know, they're trying to get it's it's all about suppressing the base and encouraging those in the middle and encouraging your own base. And they think that by calling the president a criminal, they, they can uh, accomplish that. By the way, you got to have another. I mean, I had a guy on Rising earlier this week who was, a, as I mentioned to you, he had worked with Comey. He was a former uh, U.S. attorney. And, I mean, he's just he was just crazy town. I mean, I was sitting there. I was like, I don't even know what to say to this guy. He's like, here's, here's what I think happened. And went on this long, long tirade about how, you know, Russia collusion worked. And I said, you can't. None of this has any proof. You're just coming up with this whole theory. There's proof for not a single thing that he said. But he had this really elaborate theory about, you know, they wanted the emails at a certain time released. And uh, so this is just this is creative writing. That's what I said to the guy. This is a creative writing exercise. You used to be a prosecutor. I said he actually I didn't say this. Uh, something this just came out. I don't like to, you know, get saucy with my guests when they leave. But I kind of just muttered to myself and the mic was still on. And apparently he heard it. And I was like. That guy was a federal prosecutor. That's terrifying. So, yeah, I mean, it is terrifying that I think somebody who is so hyperpartisan. Look, look at James Comey. Look at the people who are making these decisions. We're supposed to believe that they're just on the straight and narrow and honest, nonpartisan observers of truth, defenders of democracy. Come on. Here's another former Obama administration u.s attorney on what should happen to trump pay for a play for it could be that president trump procured the presidency by fraud when immigrants procure their citizenship by fraud we strip them of their citizenship when a president procures his presidency by fraud should we consider doing the same that's what this whole charade is about they want payback for Hillary. They want payback for all the all the self-righteous, self-indulgent, 
Lib boomers. Sorry, but lib boomers are the worst. At least millennials don't have life experience that they should be able to fall back on. All these lib boomers, all of Hillary's contemporaries and all these people that were ready for Hillary and the women marching in the in the pink hats and all this stuff. They have not forgotten the hurt feelings, the tears, the deep sense of falling into the abyss after Hillary to not win the 2016 election. And it's not enough for them. They're not satisfied with merely winning the next election. They want to erase Trump's victory and rewrite in Soviet style in the history books that Hillary really won. They essentially want to strip Trump of the title. They don't want there to just be another title bout. They want to strip Trump of the title and retroactively give it to Hillary and then give, you know, and then have somebody else run against the president Pence uh, in 2020. That's what that's the only acceptable outcome to them. These people are hyper partisans. They are loons. They're destroying any faith in the political process. They're destroying faith in the law, too, which is even more dangerous in many ways. I have more on this and a bunch of other stories, too, team. Stare it there. Introducing a new conservative alternative to liberal-based email services, iPatriots.us. iPatriots.us is a new email service where privacy and protection are in your hands, my friends. iPatriots is secure and includes more of what you want without all the ads and the spam. Plus, you get 30 gigs of cloud storage, larger attachment sizes, and so much more. iPatriots.us has premium antivirus, anti-spam and encryption, okay? You need to check this out for yourself. iPages.us is compatible with most mobile devices, iPhone, iPad, Android, Windows Mobile, and um, BlackBerry. It works on any Windows or Mac computer. Show you're a patriot. Go to iPatriots.us now. Choose your membership program and input your desired iPatriots email address during checkout. Enter promo code BUCK for 10% savings during your first year of membership. Again, enter promo code BUCK for 10% off during your first year of membership at iPatriots.us. Go check it out now. This is a man who came in and said, I'm bigger than the House. I'm bigger than the intelligence community. I'm bigger than checks and balances. I'm bigger than the judicial community. I'm bigger than the free press. And he's going to pay for that the rest of his life. I think the American people would support impeachment. Donald Trump will be, must be impeached. Donald Trump is a uh, uh, criminal enterprise. It certainly looks uh, like they are the kind of offenses uh, that would call for impeachment hearings. You have this memorable phrase of individual number one, you know, it's going to go down, I think, in the history books, along with some of those memorable Watergate phrases. When the evidence becomes so clear, we likely have a criminal sitting in the Oval Office. What is the Congress left to do at that point? A criminal for whom they cannot even identify a single crime, nor provide one piece of evidence that the crime that they cannot identify was committed by him. This is Stalinist tactics. That is what they are doing. That is what they are engaged in. It's a disgrace. I, you know, I don't know what happened to the old school civil, civil uh, liberties guys. They're just not around. The ACLU is a joke. ACLU, Southern Poverty Law Center, they're just extensions of media matters now. I mean, they are left-wing loon factories. But the Dersh... Doesn't even like Trump. I asked him once. I said, do you ever speak to the president? The Dersh looked like he was going to spit in my face. He was not happy with me for asking him that question. Okay. The Dersh on the payments to Stormy Daniels said, this is a play five. It is 
absolutely textbook extortion, and there ought to be a prosecution of any person, man or woman, who approaches any candidate or anybody else and says, unless you pay me money, I'm going to reveal a sex act that occurred. That is absolute classic extortion. And it's shocking that the special counsel looking into this, who has a broad mandate, he described it very broadly, isn't looking into the extortion. These payments had to be reported. They had to be reported after the election. The reporting time was after the election. So it couldn't have impacted the election. So the absurd notion that he won the presidency by fraud and should be stripped of the pregnancy reflects incredible ignorance about the timing here and how these statutes operate. This is a guy who's just speaking about the law. And look, I, I'm not some huge Dersh fan. We, we got into a throwdown once on CNN about gun control. I like the Dersh when he's right. And he's on the law and on criminal justice. He's at least knowledgeable and honest about the law. There's so few voices these days. I mean, and people just, they'll throw all of their principles out. They'll throw all of their expertise on a, on a bonfire in order to tell the libs and the left and the media what they want to hear on this stuff, which is that Trump is a criminal. How is it? Someone explained to me that Stormy Daniels did not commit extortion. I've been wondering about this. I mean, I didn't go to law school, but it seems like extortion to me. You know, David Letterman, for those of you who are David Letterman fans, which if you were, we got to have a talk. Uh, but, you know, David Letterman was having an affair. This all came out, you know, with a much, much younger woman, the whole thing. I mean, you know, these people, a lot of these big celebrity types are pretty disgusting. But he's got this affair with a younger woman and and he uh, the husband finds out and the husband, I forget the specifics of it, but the husband basically says, you know, I've got this screenplay. I want you to buy it for me for ten million dollars, which nobody you know gets a screenplay. This is absurd, right? $10 million, and it's about a famous comedian on late night TV who's having an affair with one of his staffers. That guy, by the way, went to prison prison for years. How is that different from what Stormy Daniels and Avenatti, because she hired a lawyer to create this, this, uh, this veneer, this facade of a legal proceeding? And Stormy Daniels is treated with, with all this you know, respect by the media. I mean, let me just say... That to have intimate relations with somebody and then use that. And look, I, there's a whole I, we're assuming that Trump had the relations and, you know, there's a whole bunch of steps that we're going. But to have intimate relations with somebody and then use that for personal financial gain and the threat of ruining somebody. I mean, it is it is disgusting. It's a disgusting thing to do to anybody. It's a, it's a hor. I mean, this is a, a horrifyingly, you know, imagine if a, if a man, you know, taped a woman in some kind of a, a sex act and then threatened, threatened to release it unless she gave him money. Well, that guy would go to prison and rightfully so. And he should. Right. But Stormy Daniels says, I'll tell everybody about our, our sexual affair unless you pay me X dollars. How is that not criminal? And as Dershowitz, he's a criminal defense attorney for decades. He's saying, look, it's a crime. Have they even looked into this? Have they even looked into who leaked Flynn's phone conversation with Ambassador Kizilyak? It's amazing. The only crimes they care about involve Trump associates and ways of trying to make it seem like Trump had something to do with them. Those are the only crimes they care about. These people are destroying the criminal justice system. If we had any sense of equal justice, everything Comey's done would, in fact, 
from, from the standpoint of Mueller, uh, would have Comey right now lined up for a whole series of felony charges. But it tells you what a one-sided political witch hunt Mueller's engaged in, that all of these things go on, and somehow it never quite becomes important. But going after General Flynn after his 35 years of risking his life for America, that's okay. Even though nothing Flynn has been accused of is comparable to what Comey now has admitted. I mean, great minds think alike. Newt and Buck linked up on this one. I mean, producer Mike always, you know, producer Mike knows where my head's at on this stuff. And he's like, hey, I think I heard somebody. I got a clip. But yeah, this is the, 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 the notion of equal justice is just, it's a farce with this whole Mueller probe. It's ridiculous. How is it possible that given all the people they're interviewing, all the stuff, that not a single Democrat of any kind yet has been has been prosecuted. You know, a Podesta, you know, the Podesta group, uh, you know, n- n- nothing. None of the anti-Trump leaks, felony leaks, you know, they're not getting prosecuted. These people aren't getting prosecuted. It's it's only people that are tied to Trump that have the the DOJ eye of Sauron looking right at them all the time and you know there's there's just no effort to look at what was going on here. To get this whole thing, I mean, the, the the DOJ fought to prevent disclosure of the fact that the DNC funded the dossier, which they used to do the FISA warrants and get this whole FBI investigation going. I mean, there, there should be such embarrassment from these so-called elites in charge of stuff. There should be such a sense of letting the American people down and our outrage it, it, it would be righteous if directed in the right directions, but it's not. We're being told all the time that the real enemy is, you know, General Flynn for lying. I mean, I had I had to correct. I mentioned that crazy federal prosecutor guy who was on Rising. He said, you know, General Flynn having this, you know, conversation. I'm like, dude, that the conversation was completely fine. There, there's nothing wrong with the conversation you have with Kizilyak. And, and if you wanted to talk about sanctions, that's fine, too. Ah. Uh. Man, I'm, you know, it, it really just troubles me because the, what you see is the other, the other side, the other side has such a will to power, has such a desire uh, for crushing their ideological enemies that they, they're just utterly ruthless. And, you know, conservatives, we walk around a lot and, and we're kind of play this, you know, who can be, who's the purest and the best and who can recite the most of the Constitution from memory all the time. And don't always think about, you know, who's going to win this brawl that's happening here. And we're, we're, you know, people are getting taken off the battlefield by the other side. I mean, we're, we're taking losses here. They're going after Trump. They're going after his people. And this is not a this is not a fair game they're playing. And by the way, speaking of not a fair game, I mean, there's there's Comey out there. I, I one thing that I've taken from this whole debacle of the post Trump hysteria the left is engaged in is I'm glad people will never think of these government bureaucracy directors in quite the same way because you know when I was in the CIA it was still very much the case that we assume you know if you were the if you were the FBI director the CIA director you know you were thought of as somebody of real gravitas and you were a a a defender of national security you were a nonpartisan you were a professional whether, whether this was warranted or not, that was really the perception on the outside. 
And I always knew on the inside that that wasn't really the case. Um, certainly at the age, certainly at the CIA. I mean, some look, some directors are more politically minded and uh, than others. But, you know, but even more than that, these people are not necessarily impressive. Some of them are very impressive. Some of them are very unimpressive. It depends on who we're talking about. And the fact that Comey was the FBI director. I mean, this guy, I would not trust to teach my kid third grade social studies. I mean, he's just not somebody who I would want anyone emulating or taking advice from. I mean, he is so just smart. Remember, this is a guy who sat across from people for decades and, you know, was he was the deciding voice in a lot of instances of, remember, he was a U.S. attorney uh, in New York State. He was the one that wanted to go after Martha Stewart. It was Comey. He was the one that was like, yeah, she's got to go to prison. She didn't insider trade. She didn't do anything wrong. But she lied about getting a phone call because she was scared. And they decided to send her to prison for it. And the Comey was the one pushing for that. So, you know, don't don't let this whole Comey, the seven foot tall Boy Scout thing fool you. He, he is very. First of all, I think he's very he's obviously very ambitious this is why he wanted to stay on as FBI director. But I think he, you know, Comey's got a Senate run or, yeah, maybe even something bigger in his sights. Don't think he doesn't. And this guy's a megalomaniac pretending to be this humble public servant. He's scary. Uh, but here's what Newt had to You know, Newt, Newt's been very good on this stuff. Play nine. If Comey had been a witness being interviewed by Mueller and he'd had 245 I can't remembers, I suspect they would keep him in there for a thousand hours until he finally remembered. Uh, this is nonsense. Any person with a reasonable sense of judgment knows that they were breaking the law for the purpose of trying to defeat Donald Trump. And then when the Trump won anyway, they went on breaking the law, including illegally leaking things. As a historian, it's hard to explain how unique it is to have the head of the Federal Bureau of Investigation this deeply engaged, this dishonest, uh, this patently fraudulent. I mean, nobody believes he didn't know 245 times. Uh, and I think that it is a really sad commentary on how sick the system has gotten. Yep. Everything, my friends, when it comes to government power, prosecutorial power, law enforcement, police power, Everything rests on some sense of good faith and judgment. Here's, here's an example of what I mean. A prosecutor can decline charges whenever he or she wants. So, in a sense, prosecutors could, I mean, yes, prosecutors can be removed. I understand that. But, you know, th there's nothing to stop them from just saying, all right, you know, we're, we are not going to charge this person just because we really don't want to. They can do it. Prosecutors have a tremendous amount of discretion. Police, when they show up and they see a crime, I mean, police can say, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see, you know, I don't think we need to make this arrest. They might face consequences to that later on, but it's always in the discretion. So when people discard all good faith in roles where they have government power, the system starts to break down. And that's what has happened in an effort to destroy Trump. People know they do not act in good faith. The FBI, the CIA, there was no good faith in their actions with regard to Trump. This was about pursuing an ideological vendetta. And they managed so far to largely get away with it. Not entirely. There have been some 
they've taken some losses on this. By the way, Peter King says the same thing about Comey's memory, which I, I read this transcript over the weekend. Yeah, apparently all you have to do is just say, yeah, I don't remember it. If you're Comey, that'll fly. That's just fine. Play eight. To me, it's hard to believe that Jim Comey would have forgotten all of those different uh, details. I mean, I've, uh, on the Intelligence Committee, Jim Comey testified before us any number of times. I never recall him not being able to answer a question. Yeah. Comey was very shaky on the details, on the facts and figures when it came time to speak for that on-the-record session with members of Congress last week. Very shaky indeed. And shaky on things that are, I mean, he should be embarrassed by them, except he knows the answers. He just wasn't giving the answers because he didn't want to. And because he knows that no one's going to press charges against the former FBI director who's trying to take Trump down for just saying, I don't know. As far as I recall, that's all I remember. I must first dispense with a completely illegitimate issue which is the fantasy dreamed up by some conservatives that Google and other online platforms have an anti-conservative bias. As I've said repeatedly, no credible evidence supports this right-wing conspiracy theory. I have little doubt that my Republican colleagues will spend much of their time presenting a laundry list of anecdotes and out-of-context statements made by Google employees as supposed evidence of anti-conservative bias. But none of that will actually make it true. Democrats really don't want people to catch on to just how biased these social media platforms are. There are there are many reasons for this, uh, but you got a sense of it today. You had the CEO of Google, one of the most powerful cash flow positive wealthy corporations in the world, uh, which, by the way, is working to create a special censorship friendly uh, Internet for China. So you've got Google employees who don't want to work on anything that has a U.S. military application to it. You know, I can't have any part of that. They're not a bunch of warmongers here for the American war machine. Uh, but they will work on making sure that people in China are uh, remain enslaved by the state, at least mentally and intellectually, uh, not able to enjoy freedom. Google apparently is cool with that. Yeah, there's a lot of money to be made in China. I, I understand. But you, you had this hearing today on Capitol Hill. I mean, there, there was some of the interesting stuff that you'd expect where uh, you have members of Congress who kind of sound like, for those of us who are roughly my age or maybe even 10 or 15 years older than me, you know when one of, the, one of our grandparents back in the 90s should be like, how do I work the VHS machine? Hey, how do I get the VCR to rewind? You know, and, and it was always like the VCR was this really difficult thing that we had to help them struggle through. Um, although I will admit that there were many times where I could not figure out how to get the time, how to get the clock to change on the VCR. But you had people today who were talking about technology. And these are the individuals who write our laws when it comes to technology. Right. These are the people that we are counting on to know, know something about this. And. Sure enough, uh, they sound like a bunch of people that couldn't even be bothered to read through the executive summaries that their taxpayer funded congressional staffs put together for them. But anyway, you had uh, Sundar Pichai, who is the CEO of Google. Remember, Google is owned by Alphabet now. So you'll hear about Alphabet, the company as well. Um, but, you know, there was a big story. You know, you got this guy who's saying, for example, 
that conservatives are going to, that was, you know, Nadler who says all kinds of annoying stuff. But they're, they're going to say that, you know, conservatives whine about this. It's not true. Conservatives aren't being shadow banned. Meanwhile, I think it was just yesterday that Gavin McInnes is a guy that I did uh, red eye with a bunch of times back in the day. And look, I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that Gavin is not. A, a provocateur, uh, he certainly is. He's a guy who likes to likes to get people a little fired up. He understands the effect that he has sometimes on on conversation. And and look, he, he's actually he's a good writer he, and he's smart. Uh, and he's he's always been very nice to me when I've seen him. And I know he has this this affiliation of this group, which I don't know that much about the background of it. To be fair, they're called the Proud Boys who it turns out are not considered a an extremist group by the FBI. That was fake news. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're not acting like a bunch of jerks. I, again, I don't know much about them. I didn't even know they were a thing until a few months ago. And they formed, I believe, in support of Gavin McInnes's ideas. Gavin McInnes has distanced himself from the Proud Boys. I, you know, I, I don't I don't have time to follow up on all, you know, go deep into all these things all the time. My point here just being Gavin McInnes. Yes, he's controversial. Um, he is somebody who says things that upsets the left. And whether you like him or not, it should be concerning that he gets demonetized. Because what they're doing is, you know, they started out with Alex Jones, who very few people I know are willing to defend publicly. And now they've got Gavin McInnes, who, you know, more people. Look, my old boss, Glenn, who is a big free speech proponent, Glenn Beck. Uh, as I understand it, Glenn has come out and said that this is you know, this is really troubling that you know, Gavin one uh, got fired as part of the new merger between Blaze uh, Blaze TV or the Blaze Media and, and CRTV, um, and and also now Gavin's kicked off of YouTube and he's been he's been banned from numerous platforms, and you know people would say, "Oh, Buck, this is one case," but yeah, where's the equivalent case on the left? Where do we have a case of a really prominent Democrat? who or not even that prominent, just, you know, somebody who's a public figure that's a Democrat who lost their platform, who was demonetized or completely booted off of a major social media platform. You know, one of the great examples of this is look at Louis Farrakhan still on Twitter. Someone explain to me, how is it conceivable that Louis Farrakhan should still be on Twitter, but you can't have, uh, you know, you can't have Prager University stay on YouTube without getting videos blocked. You can't have Prager University on Facebook without getting videos blocked. I, I, I need someone to, to make these make these consistently anti-conservative tendencies appear like they're not somehow intentional. I mean, I've seen it myself with with some of the way that. They treat any organization that is uh, supportive of of guns or gun rights. You know, that's all of a sudden very that that becomes very, uh, very testy, very difficult. You know, oh, you know, gun rights. How could somebody, um, you know, the, the, the truth is that there's a bias because there's tremendous social pressure on these different people like uh, Preachai. I mean, these different social media, uh, you know, important guys who, yes, they, they want these really successful companies, but they're so rich and so powerful as companies that they think that they're a little bit untouchable, meaning that no, you know, nobody can, you know, there's different ways of saying someone's an untouchable, right? But meaning that nobody can stop them from what they're doing, really. And they get social pressure. I mean, people from within their social circle 
are always telling them, you know, you got to stop. There's such there's so much hate. We can't allow hate speech. And then you find out, well, where are you drawing the line on hate speech? And, and you know, this is where there's also this this legal issue that, you know, because you get all these people that say, oh, it's the First Amendment. They can, they can do whatever they want. Well, that's not true. Government regulates speech in a lot of different ways. The government's not supposed to regulate content of speech. But that doesn't mean that content of speech can't get you in trouble in some way. Obviously, you know, I mean, as as James Comey said recently, any conversation could be illegal, theoretically. And this platform versus publisher distinction means that they either act as a neutral party in this and they don't police content or if they are policing content, they're publishers. And that means they're responsible for whatever goes up on their platforms. The big problem. So you've know, you got to keep watching what goes on with these execs that go down on Capitol Hill and, and keep, we got to keep the pressure on here. To stop the social media bias. Omaha Steaks is America's original butcher since 1917. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an amazing limited time offer to my listeners. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter code BUCK into the search bar, you'll get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package. It's originally $195, now only $49.99. Order now and you'll get four hand-cut top sirloins, two savory premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, all beef meatballs, four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, plus get four more burgers free. Omaha Steaks is a fifth-generation family-owned company with over 100 years of experience. Again, get this limited-time package for only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com. Type Buck in the search bar and add the family gift package to your cart. Go to omahasteaks.com, type Buck in the search bar to send the Omaha Steaks family gift package today. In a secret recording case, a federal judge has ruled in favor of James O'Keefe and Project Veritas. This is a case with big First Amendment implications. It is a win for free speech. It is a win for government transparency. Why haven't you heard much about it yet? Why isn't it? Leading some major news broadcasts. Oh, that's right, because it involves a conservative investigative journalist and his outfit. And we know the left can't have that. James O'Keefe, however, is with us now to explain just what's going on. He's the founder of Project Veritas. James, thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be with you. Thank you. All right. Can you just give us a little bit of the backstory here on this case? It has to do with your right as a citizen and as a journalist to surreptitiously tape government officials, right? Tell us what's going on here. Well, this was a a situation where there's 12 states in the United States that prohibit two-party consent or prohibit recording people without their permission. One of those states is Massachusetts. That means that if you're recording someone, you need their permission to record them. Well, a federal judge ruled yesterday, this is pretty historic, the court said, and we, we sued the state of Massachusetts in federal court, it's taken us two years, but the judge ruled that secretly recording government officials and police officers is a, quote, basic, vital, and well-established liberty safeguarded by the First Amendment, unquote. And there's a 44-page order that this judge has issued. And remember, this was not the New York Times. It wasn't the Washington Post. It was Project Veritas that fought the law. And we have overturned a state law prohibiting recording people, public officials, without their permission. Pretty historic stuff. I mean, just just so everyone's clear, the the position then and you said there are a number of states where this is the case, but the position of the state of Massachusetts had been that, let's say, James, uh, you know, I, I, I was visiting the O'Keefe residence 
and and things got a little, things got a little rowdy and we're having a party. The police show up and, you know, all of a sudden you think the police are engaging in, uh, you know, abusive behavior and you pull out your phone to, you know, in this in this analogy or in this storyline. I'm, you know, I'm getting beat up by the cops. You pull out your phone, you record this. They could stop that and arrest you previously under Massachusetts law. Yes, there were about 11, I believe, 11 previous felony uh, uh, complaints or issues brought by the state in the last in recent time. So you could go to jail. I mean, this is we, you know, Project Veritas, you listeners, I'm sure you're aware of what we do. I mean, we're constantly in court facing people who try to shut us down, silence us with using lawfare, using the state as a weapon, using these lawsuits as a weapon. This is a very, don't, this is a very significant uh, case because it's never before, as far as I know, has a judge ever said that recording someone is a fundamental First Amendment right. Now, other, other courts have said that sort of hidden camera technology, if, as long as you're in the room with someone, you always have to be next to them when you're recording them. But you can always write down what they say, and you could always, you know, they say the hidden camera is the extension of a pencil, or, or it's the same thing as remembering what they say. So this judgment, is, it, I think it allows us to go to some of these other states, like Illinois, California, Pennsylvania, which make it a crime to record people. In 38 states, in the District of Columbia, it's legal. In New York, it's legal. But in a lot of these other places, it isn't. So this is a pretty huge, huge victory for the First Amendment. And to your point, you would think that these journalists would be shouting from the rooftops about how great this is. But I think they're a little contemptuous of the fact that I, James O'Keefe, was the one to achieve this uh, judgment. Is there are there any of the major networks that have reached out on this one specifically, James? I mean, are are, are people uh, are are people from any part of the of the media spectrum saying, "Hey, yada boy"? No, because their hatred for me and Project Veritas outweighs outweighs whatever marginal uh, appreciation they have for the First Amendment. By the way, what did you? Uh, what was what was the organization again that was the Center for Medical Progress? Isn't that right? That was uh, exposing yeah. Planned Parenthood, and and they were sued, weren't they? Under uh, some version of surreptitious yeah. taping and you know illegal, and, and and they wanted to go after them in California. I mean, I'm forgetting the details, but I, I have a feeling you're familiar yeah. with them. Well, it was David Delayden, a friend of mine. Uh, I didn't. I, I've been working with Lila and David for some time. That particular investigation, David did. California's the Penal Code, which is Statute 632. California Penal Code prohibits it's a misdemeanor to record people without their permission, right? But you know, we would make the argument, and I've made it before in federal court in California that the recording government officials and people who receive taxpayer dollars, vice presidents of Planned Parenthood, is a fundamental constitutional right, as long as you're with the person. It's not like we're bugging people's homes. We're not filming them in their bedrooms. We're, we're filming people doing public duties in, in public. And, and it's a really, you know, I think that people think that hidden cameras, that's unethical. I mean, it's not an invasion of privacy. We're not invading these people's privacy. We're simply trying to report on what people say and do in public who are public figures. And that's what this federal judge in Massachusetts said. He said the fundamental right to record someone. And the reason why, by the way, Buck, it's so fundamental is because the people that I'm dealing with, are, 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 there's, there's so much veniality in their behavior. that The types of people who would say, I never said that, <laughs> if I just wrote down what they said, they would call me a liar. 
So it's, it's doubly important that we have the right to capture what people tell us in these investigations. Otherwise, we're giving the culprits a way out. We're allowing them to say, I never said that when indeed they did. And this is not about journalism ethics or privacy because the media loved it when that guy Sterling, who owned the basketball team, remember him? The guy yeah. in California who was recorded on, on his bed by his lover? No one cared about privacy, even though that was recorded on his bedroom. They were laying in bed together. So this is not about ethics or privacy. What this is really about is it's about power. People don't want these people recorded. They don't want the government corruption exposed. That's what this is in the final analysis really about. And just just one more for you, James. Uh, the Time magazine cover going to journalists. What was your what was your take on this? Oh, this is the person person of the, of the year. year yeah. I mean, it's just at this point, it's become a mockery. It's become a sham. I, I don't I think the only people that take it seriously are journalists themselves. Journalists are so full of hubris. They're so they have no introspection. They're so they're, it's gone so to their heads. And I know this because I'm I'm fighting in the trenches every day, doing my work, getting attacked and maligned by them. I just think that they live in their own little bubble, and and uh, they're they're holding on to whatever last legacy they have. Time Magazine is is a shell of its former self, and it's become a mockery. But they all talk to each other on Twitter with their blue check marks, and they make them feel good about themselves. But I think it's 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 stupid. I think it's it's kind of irrelevant. And the only people who care are journalists. I know you can't tell us what, at least ahead of time, uh, but it, it, can you give us a time frame? Or what, when is the next Project Veritas bombshell going to drop? Well, we had a huge uh, fall. As you, you know, we, we did seven or eight different states and senators lying and deep state. I think a big theme right now is Silicon Valley with Google and Facebook and Twitter. We did a Twitter expose a year ago showing them engineers admitting to shadow banning. I think that's going to be a big theme over the next you know, what's happening today with the Google CEO being being cross-examined in Congress. So that's one major theme. I can't even talk about it. What I can do on your show here is if you if you see something, say something. If you're an insider, let's pull a reverse George Orwell on these guys and let, let let's let's have them fear us. And if you're and I'm not saying that you need to go public, but I'm saying send us a message at projectveritas.com. Go to our website. I'll meet with you confidentially. Become a source for us because that's how we produce a lot of these stories is we have insiders come to us with information and we corroborate it. So I would say Silicon Valley is a big one coming up. Absolutely. It's one that I try to cover a lot here on the show because this is this is the new mainstream media dominance and people need to understand that it comes from Silicon Valley, not from the news networks. Uh, James O'Keefe, everybody, Project Veritas. You can go to projectveritas.com, as he mentioned. James, I appreciate your work and your time, man. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. All right, team, we have uh, more coming up here. I'm going to talk to you about uh, Netflix shows in just a little bit. By now, you probably heard of Snippy.com. It's a new social media site. Well, if you've looked at Snippy.com and left, you need to look again. Thousands of my listeners have joined Snippy.com, and they're expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. And Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, it guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators. Snippy.com is a place where everyone is free to express their thoughts and share their opinions. It is totally free to join and open to everyone. So join us at Snippy.com and let your opinion matter. No shadow banning and no suppression of conservative thought ever. 
All right, you need to check this out. They've got everything you need, politics, sports, current events, fashion, food, whatever you want to talk about. And now Snippy.com has an updated user interface and exciting new features also available in the Apple App Store and now available for Android. Snippy is your new alternative social media. There's a petition on campus to remove uh, the name of Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Justice, from a building here. What's your thought on the petition? I honestly think he should be removed. We should probably just take his name off the building. It's not that big of a deal. I agree that it should get removed. What's your thought on the petition? Uh, I agree. I don't think he represents the student body. Uh, I would sign it. Um, I think I'd probably sign the petition. And is there anything that you would point to as something that he's done that would warrant that? I don't know. Um, hmm. Do you mind if I get back to you? Uh, is there anything that comes to mind, um, that he's done that you would point to as something that you think disqualifies him? I don't know. I haven't done much much research on this. I just saw a Facebook petition about it, and that's kind of the extent of it. He is a historical figure, though. Uh, So is Hitler. Okay. Is there anything that Justice Thomas has done that you would point to and say, that's why we shouldn't have him? I mean, not in particular. I think, I guess just, well, I don't know what he did. (laughs) I mean, I don't really know anything about him. Yes, to that one. This is such a liberal community, and um, to degrade that in any way is not really the SCAD way for things. Okay. And um, isn't the liberal viewpoint though like open-mindedness and tolerance? Yes, but I think that's just a way to twist the concept of liberalism. So, all right, I, that that's that's all from campus reform. That's Cabot Phillips, the interviewer. Uh, doing what campus reform does, which is point out how wacko Looney Tunes like the uh, various college campuses across the country are when it comes to professors, student body, all these different people and how they have taken this incredibly left wing point of view. That was from the Savannah College of Arts and Design. That's uh, that's what SCAD is. I got to say, I'm a big Savannah fan, you know, nine line apparel and uh, and. Black Rifle Coffee both have stores in Savannah. So I've been down there to visit and hang out with all those guys. And Savannah's just a great, great town to, to see for a weekend. I, I really enjoy it. Anyway, back to campus reform, what they're doing here. I understand that th- there's a part of me that always feels this way, too. And, and they used to do these segments on uh, on my favorite cable news channel where they would ask people on the beach, you know, who's like the first president that I'll go oh, dude, like, I don't know, is, like, Abraham Lincoln the first president? And we're all like, oh, you're such an idiot. You know, that's that's the whole that's the whole shtick, you know? Go around and ask people, you know, so what are we celebrating on the 4th of July? Are we celebrating how we should be thankful for things? Because, like, yeah, 4th of July is about giving thanks, man. Like, I'm thankful for being out here on the beach with zinc oxide on my nose. Uh, you know, so there's a limited, there's a limited utility it's one way to put it for those kinds of segments as a means of of illuminating anything worthwhile other than just for our own amusement. Look, the, the comedy shows do this, too. They do the man on the street stuff and they ask questions. And one of the one of the most common bits is when they'll ask people to weigh in on an event that hasn't happened yet or hasn't happened at all. Uh, but they they know what they're supposed to say. And this is a, a kind of variation on that, in a sense, because you, you can tell from from these different students um, many of them. You, you would think that students in college 
would probably have some grasp of of who a sitting Supreme Court justice is. But I've heard the the statistics. I can't cite them from memory of how many people in this country can actually name all nine Supreme Court justices without looking it up. And it's a very, very small number. You know, it's a less than it's a less than one percent kind of number. Uh, but that said, Clarence Thomas is very well known and, and he's somebody that they're saying that they should remove his name from a, a building or that he shouldn't have his name on a building. And they don't know why. And so the the initial level of reaction you get to this this kind of a man on the street, well, the man on the street sounds so sounds so gender normative uh, man on the street interview is these kids don't know anything and, and they're just a bunch of, of liberals living in a cocoon. And then that's all sure. That's all fine and true to, to an extent. But what's, what I find really interesting uh, is how conservatism needs to understand that for liberals, it's enough just that they have the impulse to say and feel the way the left wants them to. You know, liberals don't really care. And, 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 you know, so this is this is a little bit of a counterintuitive take here. But liberals don't really care when you walk around the campus and people say, oh, I don't like Clarence Thomas. Why? Oh, I don't know. I don't even know who he is. I just well, all liberals care about is do they know they're not supposed to like him? And do they know that they should oppose him and everything that he stands for in every facet of, of their lives? So so if it if the outcome is what the left wants, they don't care about the process. If the process is knowledge or if it's related to having knowledge here, that's really irrelevant to the left. In fact, I think the left prefers that they see on, on campuses young people who will see, who are already able to vote and who will soon be out in their adult lives as, yeah, working in companies and working you know at, at businesses and stuff, but also as activists and if they're really far left as msnbc anchors and so you know they just want the end product to be that you you know what the the cultural expectation of you is as a liberal you know so when when i ask and another great example this is climate change when i ask somebody do you believe in climate change it is really a cultural signaling right if i ask somebody that as a liberal i'm expecting them to just say yes and leave it there, and then it's it's almost like they've gotten the other part of the secret handshake right. Clarence Thomas, another one. You know, do you believe in? Uh, do you believe there should be dark money in politics? Nobody knows what does that even mean. People that talk about it don't know what it means. But you know, they'll say, "Oh no, well, well as a liberal, I don't want." You know, do you want? Do you want to get the money out of politics? This is a phrase you'll hear liberals say. It's an idiotic phrase, but they'll say it all the time. And they just know, well, as a liberal, I'm supposed to, you know, like a hamster hitting a pedal uh, to get the treat. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to say this. And that is the approach on a lot of these issues. And because they've created the social currency on pretty much all college campuses. I mean, I know there's a few conservative campuses across the country and people I have friends who have attended them and I know they exist, but. 95% of college campuses are overwhelmingly, I mean, just liberal dominated enclaves. And so, you know, when, when you look at the, when you look at what's happening on these campuses and the way kids respond to a question, like, what do you think of Clarence Thomas? And they all say, or overwhelmingly, they'll say, you know, he's bad. We shouldn't have him here because we're tolerant. 
That's all the left wants. They view that as victory. They don't, they don't care that people can get to the why. Because if they can get to the why on that issue, they can get to the why on other issues. So understand that we, you know, we have a problem here. We are losing, uh, we are losing people in this ongoing battle for having people think about their, especially you know, young people, college kids, have them think about why they hold the ideas they do. The left just wants to process them in, in, a, in an almost machine-like way to respond to certain things the way the left tells them to. I believe in climate change. I don't like conservatives. I don't like Justice uh, Thomas. I don't like Justice Scalia or his legacy. You know, you get on the whole list. Think of all the issues that the left can encapsulate down to a very, very small phrase, slogan, even a couple of words. That's what they're doing. They're trying to mobilize people for their own cause. And the way they get them to do it is by perpetuating the perception that by holding these beliefs, you're one of the good people, the cool people, the smart people. So, yeah, I get it. We can make fun of these kids on campuses and they don't know anything and ha ha ha. But these know nothings are going to be voters soon. They're going to be people that are supporting the left, irrespective of their lack of knowledge. So we have to combat this by making people more knowledgeable on campuses. Some very important news that I wanted to share with you all. The official statistics, and I shouldn't do that because now you're actually expecting something important. This, this isn't important at all. Some official statistics when it comes to Netflix shows, as in what are the top shows on Netflix? See, I, one thing I do like about the digital era we are in now, apart from all the Big Brother surveillance and... The tech platforms acting like uh, left wing propaganda platforms. And, you know, apart from all that, at least there's real there's real numbers, meaning that, you know, you know, who's downloading, you know, who's watching and you don't have to play this guessing game anymore. I'm amazed at how, shall we say, uh, easy to easy to fudge the numbers are for traditional TV, for example, for radio uh, for different media platforms out there. And I think that there are a lot of people played a lot of games over the years, but with digital stuff, you can know. And so that's why you got the top 10 Netflix series by stream as of November, the end of November, 2018. And this is remarkable. Uh, Brandon, what do you think is the number one most streamed show on Netflix? Here's a hint. It is not a new show or even a recent show. I feel like I saw the article, or do you want me to lie to you? And then, and, and damn it, wrong. man, you've already seen this one. Where's producer Mike? Uh, I think he's going through his friends' DVDs because he uh. doesn't have it on Netflix. Am I right? Uh. Is it friends? Oh, no, you're wrong. Oh, because I, I read oh. the article about them spending $100 million. Look at you, All right. you, you highfalutin fancy man, you. Well, oh, color me red. Your, no, you're, you're actually you're, you're very close. Uh, friends is number three. All right. I think it's I think it's remarkable that given that Netflix is spending billions of dollars on content, billions of dollars, a show about people in their 20s dating and not doing a lot of work and hanging out in a coffee shop from the 90s is the is the number three most streamed show on Netflix. But you're OK. The number one show, though, is also it's not quite as old as Friends. It is not on air. What is the most streamed show on Netflix, DJ Brandon. Is it like 
Breaking Bad or, or something? That's not a bad guess. I got to give you credit for, you know, at least at least making it making a go of it. It's The Office. Oh. The most, which, I look, I completely respect this decision that the public has made. I think the, because the, the thing about The Office is that it's in short chunks, the writing, especially for the first five or six seasons, the writing is just hilarious and brilliant. And you can watch, you know, the, the problem I have with movies now, I don't know if you have the same thing, I never have over two hours to sit in one place and watch something. And I don't like watching a movie and not finishing it. So I'm just much more likely to watch a show. I mean, yeah, before I go to sleep, when I'm done with all my work, do I have 30 minutes to watch an episode of The Office or any show for that matter that I want? Yeah, I do. So that's why I think the the on-demand and streaming habits of people are are changing to accommodate that. I mean, Brandon, what was the last... The last time you watched a full two-hour length movie that you had never seen before? Uh, I think yesterday. <laughs> we've Brandon? Di- we've discussed before. I'm a horror weirdo, so I watch oh, a lot of horror right. stuff. But okay. other than that, I mean, I've never seen Lord of the Rings. But so you, don't, you wouldn't rather watch American Horror Story in 30-second chunks than watch a full two-hour long movie? Yeah. No, I would. I... I know it's a commitment, and I'm not going to say I always sit down and to do it. I'm, I'm usually maybe doing something Are else. Are you a fan of The Strain? Speaking of horror, I actually like that on Hulu, even though there was there was some there were some you know criticisms of it that I would offer. But did you like The Strain? Haven't seen it yet, but you should watch Into the Dark. It's a new uh, monthly series on Hulu. That's every uh, month is a different horror about the holiday, like Thanksgiving, Halloween, Christmas. And it's good? Yeah, it's only three episodes in. Only an hour, I guess. Only an hour? Okay, I'll check it out. So The Office, by the way, on Netflix, number one most streamed show. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is number two. I don't even know what that means or is. It's a more adult version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch based on the comics. However, and I will say this to you, Buck. Are you serious? Yeah, and I watched it because, again, horror, even if it's for kids, they push real left on that show about certain topics, even though it's about... You know, Even witches. horror has to be commie now. I mean, they, yeah. you know, they can't. American Horror Story, the same thing. Yeah, I saw that. There's a the whole abortion storyline in the first season and you know, the whole thing. Uh, Grey's Anatomy is number four. House of Cards, number five. The British, the Great British Baking Show is number six. Who knew? Marvel's Daredevil, number seven. And Narcos, number eight. I, I think Narcos should be way... I think Narcos is one of the best shows ever. I, I put it in the top 10. And for, they just canceled Daredevil, which I'm upset about. I'm upset about that, too. I actually like Daredevil a lot. And The Haunting of Hill House is number nine, which I find bizarre, because I don't think that's a good show. Meh. It's just me. It was meh. Yeah, it was kind of meh. I'm glad... See, you've got the horror expert here, <laughs> DJ Brandon. He knows. It wasn't really that good. So, folks, I hope I saved you some time. The Office and Friends are worth having on in the background, but Narcos and Daredevil, if you have not seen them, highly recommend. Roll Call's up next. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed, Roll Call from the swamp. It is time to uh, get into all of the latest insights, thoughts, quips, analytic additions, keeping me honest, all that good stuff that comes to us courtesy of Roll Call. And man, it's just so nice. This was the first morning in a week I've woken up and not felt like I had some weird foreign objects stuck in the glands around my throat. So, uh, you know, life is good. Life is good. Got the holidays coming up. It's going to be a good week on radio, too, folks. John writes, Buck, the Christmas tree was chosen based on the size of the chimney 
After it dried out, it was removed from the home trunk first to clean the chimney with its dead branches. You dropped a chain tied to a rope, just so you know. John, I have never heard this before, and my my thought was that, based on what I had been told before and what I have read, that the Christmas tree is a tradition that we borrowed from uh, pagan rituals in Europe, where there would be either a burning of the... Uh, what a coniferous tree, the fir tree that the Christmas tree actually is. So I've never heard this theory before that it's used to clean the chimney, but it is definitely interesting to me that that is a theory that you have raised. So I'll, I guess I'll take your word for it. Pending further review sounds a little weird to me, but interesting for sure. Mike writes, Hey Buck, you talking about the Stormy Daniels payoff. What about the $17 million Congress has paid out for sexual conduct payoffs? Well, you know, Mike, what we have here with the Cohen payoff situation is once again, we're being told, as we've been told all along in the Russia collusion special counsel probe, right? The investigating of the investigation of Donald Trump, which is what this is. This is the investigation of Donald Trump by his political enemies. That's what's going on. And the people who have been telling us that this is all about getting to the truth, getting to justice are also the ones who are now telling us that we need to understand that the crimes that are being uncovered don't deal with bad conduct or even necessarily criminal conduct. The crimes are in the process of how non-criminal conduct is handled. Let, let me give a little bit of a deeper details here on this one. For example, lying is the most obvious case we have, where they're lying not about conduct that was criminal to protect themselves, but we are supposed to believe that it's just a coincidence that these individuals who are put through the hellish, emotionally and financially draining experience of having to face the special counsel, that they're lying for no apparent reason. They're just lying because they're liars and lying is bad. And so that process crime gets wedged into all of this and we don't have much further in terms of explanation. Okay, so that's that's one part of this. And then on the Stormy Daniels payoff, we're supposed to be so outraged because this payoff, which was a completely legal payoff to make, was not reported to election authorities properly. Well, I got to tell you something. The notion that election authorities are somehow these uh, virtuous and wise institutions, these these bodies that look at, at our election, and, and it's, you know, this is crazy. What I mean is that they can change the election law with a simple act of Congress whenever they feel like, any time they feel like, because there's no underlying moral distinction that's being made here. Right? They're not saying, this is the, this is the malum in se versus malum, in, malum prohibitum distinction that we talk about here on the show. Malum in say is don't kill people. You don't need a law to tell you don't kill people. And even if you didn't know there was a law that says don't kill people, I could morally and with clarity reason you through why you don't just kill people or don't steal. Why should you not steal? We could. Why should you have to only be able to give, you know, twenty seven hundred dollars to a political candidate? Because uh, Congress says so. That's malum prohibitum. There's an arbitrariness to it and a lack of moral foundation in the rule 
that we are essentially trusting, in this case, the system and the, the elites who run it to make good decisions about where they're drawing the lines. But on election stuff, this is about as, as hazy and gray area and overly complicated as any area of law can get. And it's really just we're supposed to believe it's bad because they say so. You know, what you have not seen in the investigation of Donald Trump and his associates is any talk of, or I shouldn't say any talk, any proof of, there's lots of talk of it, of what would be a crime that is truly appalling, a crime for which anybody would demand there is punishment and that that's what justice requires. You know, there's there's nothing about about stealing from people, about attacking people, about hurting people, about, you know, it's always this stuff about how if Trump, you know, Trump didn't report this properly or, you know, maybe he's hiding his taxes. You know, it's paperwork crimes. They're going after Trump on paperwork crimes primarily. And, you know, people would say, oh, Buck, well, a paperwork crime could be stealing somebody's house. Yeah, but I mean, the crime is just the paperwork's not done properly. Or the crime is that the testimony was not given accurately, but there's no underlying crime. I, I know this is getting kind of philosophical about what does the law really prohibit and what is the law? But I think that's where we are now. Because as we saw with Hillary, and it's not a whataboutism, it's true. She, she broke laws, but they told us that was okay. They found, they found a rationalization for Hillary breaking the laws, okay? And with Trump, they're trying to find a rationalization for how he did break the laws. That's what we are seeing play out in real time, and that's why people like me have so little faith that this has been a fair process and will continue to be, and, and I'm sure it will continue to be an unfair process. Rita writes, welcome back. Glad your voice box didn't crap out. You're absolutely right. Sanctacomi is exactly the term for his insufferable self. Does he truly think we don't know what he did, or is he delusional? Doesn't matter. It's maddening. Merry Christmas. All my people are getting Black Rifle Coffee. Well, Rita, thank you so much. And remember, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Make sure that that's where you go so that they know that you're part of Team Buck and the show gets credit. Um, but, you know, you'll get a good discount. And I, I really do. I have I have coffee around stacked up next to my desk. And uh, I, I think Black Rifle does a great job. And the guys who run the company are they're just they're, they're great dudes and dudettes. Their ladies work there, too. So uh, definitely check it out. And as for Sanctacomi, yeah, Sanctacomi is somebody who should give us all a little bit of pause when we think about how the government functions, who's in charge of it. And this is why this takes us really to the roots of our conservatism in many ways. We understand that individuals, that human beings, are driven by a whole range of emotions and feelings and, and beliefs and self-interest. And so that's why we have limitations on government authority. That's why we want checks and balances. That's why we have so many clearly spelled out processes in place that are meant to protect you, the individual. It's not really about protecting the government. It's about protecting you, the individual, from the government. Because historically, we know that tyranny comes from governments that are unrestrained and that are not rooted in a respect for and a protection of natural law. So, get a little philosophical there, too. Dale. Hey, Buck, glad your voice is back at 100%. I'm currently reading The Charm School by Nelson DeMille, which is a Cold War-era novel that takes place in the Soviet Union and involves Army intelligence and the CIA. 
I know this is well before your time in the agency, but I was curious if you have previously read the book and your thoughts on it. If, show, if so, shields high. Dale. Dale, I've never read any of DeMille's books. I will tell you that. I've got to be honest. Never read anything DeMille has written. So I really can't... I just know the name, but I really can't speak at all to his writing uh, in general or in specific uh, terms. So I'm sure it's great. Um, I haven't read that much in the way of espionage thrillers. I tended to read more books about the history of intelligence and intelligence agencies. So I'm not really your go-to for espionage thriller book recommendations. Uh, Richard writes, but could you ask the snippy.com people to simplify their site? Seems like advanced trigonometry trying to post and like and add followers. Uh, Richard, I will pass along your comment to the folks that I know that deal with customer service there. And just understand that it's a new, it's a new social media site. And that means that they're going to look, they're going to be working out some things as they go. But unlike a lot of the other sites out there, they're not engaged in the shenanigans. And look, it's important that we as conservatives send a message to these social media, uh, really monopolies. I mean, these social media uh, juggernauts and let them know that there will be consequences for their continued clear politicization because that's what they're doing. I mean, they, they are politicizing social media in general. I mean, they're politicizing the social media platforms in a way that are meant to help the left. I mean, that's that's what's going on. That's what we're seeing happening. And and I, I just think we should all be very, very clear about that. Um, we have next up here, uh, writes Tia. Tia says, hey, again, I've never seen Titanic. I've watched a documentary about the Titanic, and that had me sobbing. I didn't dare watch the movie. Well, I guess you're one of the very, very few who has not seen Titanic, but you're not missing much uh, because I'm pretty sure you know how it ends. All right, team, we got a fantastic show already in the works for you tomorrow. Please do tell some folks about this podcast. Remember, if you're ever out of out of radio station range, uh, you can or, or you just don't have the time to listen live. You can listen to this pod, listen to this show in full on podcast. Absolutely. Anytime you want Just go on iTunes, you go on the iHeart app and listen to the Buck Saxon show at your leisure on demand. It's a great way to do it. And with that, until tomorrow, Shields High. Omaha Steaks are fantastic. And right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an amazing limited time offer to my listeners. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter promo code BUCK into the search bar, you will get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package, originally $195, now only $49.99. Order now and you'll get four hand-cut aged to tenderness top sirloins, two savory premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, all beef meatballs, and four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin. Uh, plus, you'll get four more burgers free and four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin. You throw that all in the mix, it's delicious. Omaha Steaks is a fifth-generation family-owned company with over 100 years of experience delivering perfectly aged beef hand-cut by master butchers in Omaha. OmahaSteaks.com. Type Buck in the search bar and add the family gift package to your cart. OmahaSteaks.com. Type Buck in the search bar to send the Omaha Steaks family gift package today.